The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. Welcome to episode number 158 of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. In this episode, I'm excited that I'm going to get to talk with three guests, which I don't think I've done before. They're all licensed professional engineers, and they're heavily involved in the ASCE Texas 2021 Infrastructure Report Card. They are Patricia Freide, founding principal of Freide Engineering and Consulting, Griselda Gonzalez, principal engineer at the Goodman Corporation, and Mark Boyd, the principal engineer at LCA Environmental. They're going to be talking about the 2021 infrastructure report card, but also just about understanding the current status of our infrastructure in general and why advocacy in the infrastructure arena is just so important. And for us as civil engineering professionals, we really need to be keyed into this. And one of the things too that I took away from this episode, and I hope you will too, is the camaraderie between these three professionals, which just goes to show that if you volunteer in your community, you will meet others and it will help you to enjoy a more satisfactory or enjoyable career in terms of relationships and the relationship building process, which is something that I think people often discount in their careers. I mean, they think about networking in terms of business development and career opportunities. And don't get me wrong, those things will happen from networking but so do just good, strong relationships that make what you're doing on a daily basis more fun. And I really took that out of this episode, and I hope you will as well. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano. I am a licensed professional engineer who practiced as a civil engineer, but eventually decided I wanted to focus more on inspiring engineers rather than doing the engineering myself. So since then, I've written a book entitled Engineer Your Own Success, and I've traveled the world helping engineers. Now, before we get started with this episode, this is a free podcast and our sponsors do help us keep it free. So we ask that you please support them. And now I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, ACI. Are you a member of the American Concrete Institute? ACI is a worldwide community of 30,000 professionals, educators, and students in more than 100 countries. The premier global community dedicated to the best use of concrete, ACI members push the concrete industry further, adapting to new technology, investing in their careers, and dedicated to improving concrete design, materials, and construction. You don't have to be an ACI member to work in the concrete industry, but if you want to exceed expectations in it, there's no better place to be. Whether you're a student just starting out or have years under your belt, ACI membership ensures that no matter what changes the world brings, you will be prepared to thrive and your life's work will last for generations. Right now, ACI is offering a $30 discount on new individual and young professional memberships. Student memberships are free. Join ACI today at concrete.org forward slash podcast 30. That's C-O-N-C-R-E-T-E dot o-r-g forward slash p-o-d-c-a-s-t the number three the number zero i also like to let you know that we have launched two new youtube channels at emi pass the fe exam and pass the pe exam the focus of those channels are pretty much self-explanatory so if you're seeking your fe or pe credential please be sure to subscribe to these channels for our weekly videos you can find both of these pages at pe passpoint 
passpoint.com. Again, that's pepasspoint.com. All right, now I want to just tell you a little bit more about each one of our guests that you're about to hear from. First up, Patrizia Freide is the founding principal of Friday Engineering and Consulting and has experience in the management of private and public sector clients for site development and public works projects. She has more than 25 years of experience in the general civil engineering professional services industry. Griselda Gonzalez is currently the principal engineer at the Goodman Corporation. She joined TGC to start and lead the engineering services for the firm. As the principal engineer, she is responsible for business development, marketing, engineering, planning, design, construction phase activities, and the training and management of staff. So quite a bit there. And lastly, but certainly not the least, I want to introduce Mark Boyd. Dr. Boyd is the principal engineer at LCA Environmental and holds a doctorate in civil and environmental engineering. He brings more than 30 years of professional experience in civil and environmental engineering in many, many areas. He's a two-time Dallas Engineer of the Year awardee and a prior Texas Engineer of the Year awardee. You'll be able to find the bios for these accomplished professionals in the show notes. And also, as I said, the focus in this episode, of course, is on the Texas Infrastructure Report Card and the committee that has helped to really put this out there. And it's a big committee, and we'll get into the details of that. But I think a couple of points that I'd like you to think about as you listen to this episode is, you know, number one, as I said earlier, we do need to shine the light on poor infrastructure and the importance of advocacy because it is critical to getting funding for these projects and to help make improvements in these areas. Secondly, we want to give you an idea of what the infrastructure report card is and encourage you to get involved in your state. It's a great way to get plugged into your community and the civil engineering trends going on there, which can help you as a professional. And lastly, also, as I mentioned earlier, it's about career relationships. So again, you can hear the camaraderie between the three guests today, and you can build that camaraderie, rapport, and relationships with others if you get involved in volunteer efforts and really take the time to build relationships, which may be the most valuable thing that you do in your career. With that, let's dive into our Civil Engineering Conversation of the Week. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now I'm excited to welcome our guests on to the podcast for today. We're going to talk about the ASC Texas 2021 Infrastructure Report Card. I've actually got three guests here, as you just heard them all being introduced and, and all that they've accomplished. So Patricia, Griselda, and Mark, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so we've heard a little bit about each of you, and we're really excited to have each of you here, and this is something that... You know, we get lots of emails from listeners about the infrastructure report card all across the country. It is something that's really, really important. What I'd like to do real quickly before we jump into our questions is I'm going to ask each of you kind of in your own words, you know, I know we went through some of your bios, but just give us a couple sentences on what you do on a day-to-day basis in the civil engineering world. Patricia, why don't we start with you? On a day-to-day basis. You basically are being hopefully proactive and resolving problems. You know, obviously things crop up from day to day. Things come up in the field, things come up in design, and you have to react to them. So you deal with uh, the public, your clients, your staff, and you just try to move forward and advance the problem-solving process. Tell me a little bit about your field. What are you focused on right now? My field primarily is general civil engineering. I'm very fortunate to have a little bit of a niche market. 
I focus on parks and green spaces as well as program management. Currently, I really spend a lot of time trying to help clients manage their programs to solve their problems. For example, uh, a couple of clients are uh, people that are trying to deal with uh, disaster recovery or master planning for green spaces. Griselda, how about you? I do a lot of project management right now. I train our EITs. We do design of roadways and right now working on small sidewalk projects. I am the principal engineer at the Goodman Corporation, which is, I do a lot of project management right now. That's more of my day-to-day work right now. Great. And Mark, how about you? I'm also a principal engineer. That's also my title. Like he says, I probably don't do as, as interesting the work as she does, but uh, I'm a principal engineer at LCA Environmental, and we're an environmental engineering consulting company. I also happen to be an adjunct professor at Southern Methodist University. I teach graduate classes in uh, environmental and civil engineering. This semester, I'm particularly busy because I'm teaching uh, engineering microbiology for the first time to some of the senior uh, undergraduates at the, in the program. And I also teach my regular class, which I've been teaching for 19 years, which is uh, contaminant hydrogeology. Those two fields and those two subjects relate to a lot of what I do every day as a consultant. I work uh, with a lot of different clients like uh, TxDOT, our, our state uh, uh, DOT here in Texas, and some of the transit agencies and our, our state environmental agency, the TCQ, to uh, clean up properties, uh, environmental uh, remediation. And I work for TxDOT because uh, roads when they get, and bridges, when they get built, sometimes they get built on landfills. Sometimes they get built uh, through impaired areas where there are toxics and other kinds of contaminants. And I also spend a great deal of my time in, in environmental protection and making sure that projects are done in a sustainable way. So that's sort of the short answer to what I do on a day-to-day basis. I'm stating the obvious when I say that Texas is a, is a huge state. And whenever you have that much land, there's a lot of roadways, there's a lot of buildings, there's a lot of infrastructure. And me as a civil engineer, having visited Texas many times, it's always really interesting. I know I'm sounding like a civil engineering nerd, but like driving around and looking at all the different stormwater structures and all the different ways that things are managed there is very interesting. And that's what really excited me about having you all on. So Patricia, I'm going to start with you and just ask if you can talk a little bit about the importance of understanding the current status of infrastructure, both on a national level, but of course at a state level as civil engineering professionals. Thanks for inviting us as representatives for the American Society of Civil Engineers Texas section to join the Civil Engineering Podcast. We very much appreciate the opportunity. Regarding the importance of understanding the current status of infrastructure, not only on a national level, but also a state level, I offer that it should not be a big revelation to anyone that America's infrastructure is in dire need of investment and attention now to remain competitive in a local, state, national, and global economy. Examples of major infrastructure uh, categories are our highway and airport systems, the electric grid, and the water distribution systems. 
these infrastructure examples have either reached the end of their design life or in need of major repair or are on the brink of failure. In 2017, the last published ASCE infrastructure assessment report, a tool that we call the infrastructure report card, found that the nation's infrastructure averaged a D plus, meaning that conditions were mostly below standard, exhibiting significant deterioration with a strong risk of failure. In 2017, the assessment report for Texas was not much better. The state's infrastructure averaged a C minus, meaning that conditions were on the negative side of mediocre and requiring attention. So now is the time to act, to renew, modernize, and invest in our infrastructure. Failure to act can no longer continue. The more time that passes without action, the greater the gap becomes in the funding or investment that's required to address the infrastructure needs. It is something that is has to be top of mind. I mean, you know, we all know that infrastructure, well, I don't know that we all know that, but I think as civil engineering professionals, we're, we're kind of more attuned than others about infrastructure. And we see things on the news. We see things on sites when we're doing inspections and things of that nature, that there are things that are failing and it's not going to get any better. It's good to hear you reinforce some of those things. Griselda, can you talk about the infrastructure report card specifically, what it is, how you use it, Maybe you can also speak about its importance in advocacy efforts. So the infrastructure report card really assesses a few items in our infrastructure. It assesses capacity, uh, condition, funding, funding need, operational and maintenance uh, conditions right now. It addresses public safety, resilience, and innovation. We had a group in Texas of about 50 or 55. Mark will probably speak to that. And we got together in our separate committees for the different categories that we were evaluating. And once the report card is released, we then use it to go and advocate for infrastructure to our legislators. We use it. So it is an advocacy tool for ASCE. It informs the lawmakers and the public of the current conditions of our infrastructure. And we try to write it in such a way that it's not only for engineers, but for our legislators, you know, folks not familiar with engineering or the terms and the jargon. So we break it down for them, tell them what the condition is. And for each uh, category, we then go advocate for more funding or where were the deficiencies, where is the need? And that's how we use the infrastructure report card In Texas, uh, we have a day called the Legislative Drive-In, which when our report card is released, we will then use the report card to distribute to our legislators and go and advocate. Yeah, that's great, Griselda. And what I really like about the infrastructure report card, especially, you know, based on what you just said, is it really provides a tangible way to measure something that's so important, right, to everything that we do and something that affects the safety of the public, of course. I really love the theory behind the infrastructure report card because I feel like if you don't know something's broken, you're most likely not going to try to fix it, right? It's like I was having this conversation with my wife the other night. We have three kids 
we're talking about one of our kids. And I'm thinking to myself, like, well, before we start making any assumptions, don't you think we should look at her report card? Kid could be like straight A's and we're saying, oh, I wish she would study more. And like, well, how do we know? Right. So when you have a report card or you have something that you can grab onto, you have a real good feel where the needs are and where you're doing well. And I think that this infrastructure report card, maybe for so long, people have been saying, huh, infrastructure is terrible. We need funding. We need this. We need that. But there's no way to show people that. There's nothing really behind that. And this really does provide that. So let's turn over to Mark here. Mark, there are about 55 dedicated members of the Texas IRC committee. I know they've worked tirelessly as volunteers to address an unprecedented number of 12 infrastructure subjects. Talk about the makeup of the committee and how does this year's committee kind of stand out from prior IRC committee efforts in Texas? Thanks again for having us. Uh, and I wasn't going to mention it today, but as Gisela was talking about the report card, the report card's really come a long way. And I don't know that everybody realized it, but uh, it's gone Hollywood because the Netflix show uh, Designated Survivor featured in a couple of scenes uh, with the Kiefer Sutherland character as the president. So we've come a long way, and that's a good thing. We want this thing to keep uh, growing in the consciousness of the nation. Now, as far as Texas goes, it's been a real pleasure to work with everybody, every single person on this committee. Now, some of them I knew already, but had gotten to know, know them for years and years. Others, I've gotten to know them very well since we started uh, our live meetings back in, uh, since we had our kickoff meeting pre-pandemic in January of 2020. And it seems like a hundred years ago. I was going to say a thousand years ago, but boy, it seems like a long time ago. I don't know why. But it was a different world. Some of our committee members, and there are 55 of them, have asked for anonymity, and I don't have a list in my head which one. So I wouldn't have the time to thank every one of them. But the two colleagues, uh, Patricia and Griselda, on the panel now are two that I want to thank as representative of the entire group. It's been really a wonderful experience so far, and our race is not yet run yet. Texas is a big place. It's famously big. Climate and population vary all over the state. So we are fortunate because engineers, we need engineers on this committee that understand the issues of their regions, of their climates, of their populations. We have committee members from El Paso, Dallas, Fort Worth, Lubbock, Houston, that's where Patricia and Gisela are from, Austin, Arlington, Northeast Texas, and some small communities all over the place. We have academics included. UT Arlington PhD student and a UT San Antonio faculty, UT University of Texas. We have public service engineers at the uh, city of Lubbock, city of Dallas. We have an engineer at one major airport. Then engineers also come from a dozen or so engineering and energy consulting firms. What sets this group apart, this effort apart? Well, size and depth are the obvious ones. So aviation, bridges, dams, energy, flood risk mitigation, highways, roads, levees, parks and recreation, solid waste, transit, drinking water, and wastewater. We're addressing all those in the report card this time around. Now, another thing that sets the part from prior efforts is that the uh, Committee for America's Infrastructure is really encouraging all the state report cards to produce a much more user-friendly format this year, uh, this time around. More efficient, more understandable, Narratives need to be more concise, more precise, support the grade and the justification for recommendations to raise the grade just the right amount. 
And that's what we've been working on for months and months. And I'm telling you, that is easier said than done. We all are good wordsmiths, but it's definitely easier said than done. But we're getting there. And of course, the pandemic has made this effort very, very different. Uh, Zoom calls, hundreds of hours. So with a combination of patience, kindness, and persistence, those have been the key to our sticking together as a committee and continuing to meet this challenge. I'm proud of every single one of them. And I appreciate the chance to answer that question. That's great, Mark. And really, when you think about it, I mean, think about just assessing infrastructure in general, how much of a challenge that could be, of course. And then when you think about a state the size of Texas, all the different disciplines that you mentioned there, all the different project sites or places that needed to be visited, all the calls, like you said, it's really a tremendous effort, I would imagine. I mean, it's a tremendous effort in general across the country. And I would imagine in Texas, it's even a really big effort for a state to pull all that together. But it sounds like you're doing it and you're doing a good job of it. And it's great that we're able to talk to you a little bit about it. And really what I think, again, getting back to this idea of a report card, it does make it easier to talk about these things with people that don't necessarily understand, you know, the technical side of it. They're not engineers. They're not consultants because those are the people that we ultimately need to connect with a lot of times to get what we need to improve infrastructure, right? Like Criselda said, we need to get funding. We need to do advocacy. We need to talk to politicians and being able to say, you know, the infrastructure in our state is a C or a D and here's why I think is a, a really good way to talk about it. And a part of the reason that you know, we wanted to have this episode is it's also kind of a call to all of ASCE members out there across the country to really consider getting involved with the infrastructure report card committee in your state. I'm sure it can be a rewarding experience. Um, just from talking with some of you, it seems like you've built some great relationships with each other and others on the committee just because of all the work you're doing together. And so I would really encourage our listeners to think about getting involved in this committee because it really does great things for your career in terms of networking and be able to meet other people, but also it's doing going to do great things for the profession. And again, for the public, because you're going to bring attention to certain things, in my opinion, that can be dangerous, you know, if we don't address them. And that's something that's really important. So Patricia, back to you. You talked a little bit about being involved with parks as something that you do on a regular basis. Can you talk to our listeners a little bit about your involvement in parks, national, state, and just tell us a little bit more about your involvement specifically with the state IRC there? Before I do that, I just want to go ahead and echo what you just said about the call for people to get involved. I think that even if it's just not becoming involved with our organization as a citizen, you should get involved because this impacts you at the bottom line and your day-to-day activity. Moving on, uh, by way of background, my involvement with parks is greater and more focused on a local level. However, my involvement with parks at the national level is uh, limited to membership and or support of a couple of national organizations, such as the National Parks Conservation Association and the National Resources Defense Council. I support protection of national parks for future generations and safeguarding of our natural resources. At the state level, I support the Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation. Regarding my involvement with the Texas IRC, I am honored to be the chair of the Parks and Recreation Committee. I am fortunate to lead a committee of five members that are enthusiastic and willing to participate at every turn. Collectively, we performed the research, we collected the data, 
and drafted the Parks and Recreation Chapter to include in the 2021 Texas IRC that will hopefully soon uh, be unveiled. And um, we're just very close to being across the finish line. Everyone can contribute in different ways, of course, when you have, when you're assessing infrastructure across a state, because there are all these different disciplines. So again, just something to be aware of for, to our audience, that even if you work in a certain segment of civil engineering, you can focus on that segment, maybe on your IRC and be able to provide value in that way. And I think that that's a great thing. Griselda, with the presidential election behind us, how do you think it will impact the infrastructure report card moving forward? I know that's a big question on a lot of people's minds. I really think that regardless of who's president or who's in office, I think infrastructure is bipartisan. It affects everybody. So I think any president in office needs to be concerned or aware of our infrastructure. And I think moving forward, we need to continue to advocate for our infrastructure. I don't know what that impact is. I think before there was going to be uh, some federal funding for infrastructure. I think those programs are probably still going to continue to be funded. I think there will continue to be funding for infrastructure. I'm not sure uh, the impacts of COVID and all that has impacted the current funding. But when you ask me that question, it's just a bipartisan. Infrastructure affects everybody. So it needs to continue to be on all our politicians' minds about what we're going to do about water, wastewater, uh, roads, bridges. I've seen some, just the other day, I saw an article or a video about a bridge collapsing because of flooding, and some fortunately nobody got injured. But we need to continue to invest in our infrastructure to prevent these kinds of uh, failures and protect the public. What you said there, Griselda, is important, right? It is a bipartisan thing. I think everybody needs to put their parties aside and understand that infrastructure, as I keep saying, because I think it's important, is totally impacts the safety of the public. It's very important that we stay focused on it, regardless of who's in office. It's a must. And getting back to the report card, it's having the report card can help keep the conversation going, regardless of who is in the White House, regardless of you know who's driving funding. And I think that's what's really valuable about it because it's something that everybody can understand. Again, maybe going back to our roots, elementary school, when we used to get our grades, we know what grades mean. We know A is good and we know going down is worse. And so I think that that's a very helpful thing and, and that will help us focus on it. So Mark, back to you. Let's get back to Texas a little bit here. Texas has a unique challenge in flood risk mitigation, which comes from Gulf Coast major hurricane events and inland storms throughout Texas's increasingly populated interior territories. Can you explain why the committee has felt so strongly about this unique challenge that it has insisted the subject matter be named flood risk mitigation, which is different from other state report cards, and even from Texas's prior name for the category, which was flood control? I don't want you to get the idea it's because it's Texas and we have to be different. Well, actually, it's in our nature to be different. It kind of reminds me of a quick story I have to tell you. When I uh, traveled to ASE headquarters a few years ago with my adult son, I wanted to spend some time with him in the evenings while I did some business in Washington, including at ASE. We drive up to ASE headquarters, and he's dropping me off, and he turns to me and he said, did, did you notice there's only one pickup truck and the entire parking lot out here as we drove through it? I go, no, I didn't notice that, but, you know, I guess we love our trucks in Texas, but not, not so much here. 
So I went into the building and just as an icebreaker, I mentioned to the person I was meeting with, I mentioned that uh, what my son had said, what Stephen had said. And the response was, oh, oh, you mean that blue pickup out there? Yeah, that guy moved here from Texas and brought his truck with him. It's kind of in our nature to be different, be Texas, but uh, it's related to nature anyway, as far as how we name this part of the report card this time around. So it comes from a common meaning and recognition of words. The Texas Water Development Board produced a, a, a super informative uh, state flood assessment report last year with the 86th state legislature. And the terms flood risk and flood risk mitigation were used for in that report. And for some time now, the state legislature, uh, the water board, other state agencies are becoming accustomed to those words. It seems to make sense that they identify the title of this report card to the things that we're addressing in the flood risk plans and in the flood assessment reports for the state. The present committee unanimously agreed not only that we should name it flood risk mitigation, but also that we shouldn't name it uh, flood control. And the reason is that we have to really get away from this 1950s mindset that says we can control Mother Nature. That ship has long sailed. We can't, and that's the end of it. We can't control Mother Nature. What we do know how to do as, as engineers is manage and mitigate uh, risk. We need to share that concept with the public, with legislators, and whatnot. So the floods here, like all Gulf Coast states, are caused by ocean storm surges, floods caused by rainstorms, and a combination of both at the same time, unfortunately. So we can't control the flood, we can't control the rain, but we can build the infrastructure to reduce the flood risk posed by both. Now, strangely enough, because of what happened with Hurricane Harvey three years ago, Texas has really improved its preparedness in floods. And so the uh, report card is poised for a great improvement in this category over the last time. I was wondering, Griselda uh, or Patricia, do either of you have any further thoughts on this question? I'm actually going to defer or go comment on this topic. I've got a client whose name is actually Lead Control. So I'm just going to remain mum. I agree with you, uh, Mark. Uh, you know, the use of our language. I remember when we were doing another ASD report that we were very conscientious of using the word flood control and trying to change that language so that the average Joe could understand that we, we can't control flooding. We can mitigate risk. We can't control Mother Nature. It's good to hear you say, Mark, that there may be some improvements in that area. Unfortunately, based on what was an event that wasn't a good event, obviously, but it was something good came out of it and that, you know, some improvements were made because, you know, I think that the trend in infrastructure in general is that we see the grades are getting worse, but it is good to know that when something happens like Harvey, that people do address it, people do pay attention to it and they can make improvements. And I think that that's a really good thing. And again, I think it's another positive of the report card is it gives us a frame of reference to say we are hurting right here. And, you know, we know that there's going to be storms and there's going to be other potential things that we have to deal with, disasters, natural disasters. So we need to make improvements and get this grade from a D to a C or whatever the case may be. But again, we have that frame of reference that we can lean on with the report card, which I think makes it valuable. All right, Patricia, you stayed silent on the last one there. So I'm going to come back to you for another question. 
let's get back to parks and rec or green spaces. I know that that's something that you're focused on. Can you talk about the importance of these green spaces from a quality of life standpoint? Parks and recreations or green spaces are so important from a quality of life standpoint for many reasons, but primarily because they offer individuals physical and mental escapes from everyday life and typical enclosed environments, which can help combat mental health issues such as depression, anxiety, and stress. We all know 2020 has been a year of unprecedented times with the global pandemic and the economic recession. So uh, parks and recreational areas and green spaces offer, in a sense, safe havens for so many to maintain a semblance of normalcy during such challenging times. They also offer individuals a space to refresh, restore, recenter, refocus, and recharge themselves. Parks and green spaces also offer individuals venues that result in physical health benefits, and they also give the natural environment a chance to thrive. Yeah, no, it's great. It is important. And it's more important than ever right now. And I think people are realizing right now that all of us have been forced to, I think, get outside more. Even here, you know, in the Northeast, we're looking at different sports that we can get our kids out playing in the winter, which is, they're not going to be crazy about it, but a lot of the indoor sports are getting canceled. So I was kind of having this conversation with some people here is that, you know, that's kind of been a positive here. And that I think a lot of us have been outdoors a lot more. I mean, I know in Texas, there's a tremendous amount of opportunities for getting outdoors and doing different things like hiking and, and recreation. And it is so important, these green spaces And this pandemic, I think, has really shown us that, that we need to kind of reconnect with nature and get out there. And it's kind of forced us in a way to do that. It's a way that I can say to my son, get off that Xbox and get outside. Go play with the stick. (laughs) Exactly. So that is important. And I'm glad you spoke a little bit about that. We can't talk about Texas without talking about energy and energy infrastructure. So let's go back to Mark here for a second. Mark, Texas is poised here for another good grade on energy infrastructure. Talk a little bit about what sets Texas apart from other states and its electricity, oil and gas, and alternative energy infrastructure. I learned a lot about energy so far working with this subcommittee. Uh, These folks live and breathe it. A portion of the committee lives and breathes the oil and gas part of it. Another portion where I really learned a lot was about the electric grid. What sets Texas apart is really the circumstance of Texas energy infrastructure, just what it's been able to do. Texas leads the U.S. in energy production straight up over all of the states, providing one-fifth of the nationally produced energy. We actually export some of our energy, of course. In the last 10 years, innovation has led to five-fold oil production increase from one million barrels a day to over five million barrels a day. Texas Energy helped boost U.S. energy production above consumption for the first time in 62 years during this last 10-year period. Texas has the 10th largest economy in the world, and we're arguably the innovation capital of the world for energy. And uh, so we joke about that sometimes, but are we an independent economy? No, but we never know. We might want to be our our own country one day. Oil and natural gas uh, with uh, liquefied natural uh, gas output are, are really well well established. Petrochemical oil exports have expanded during the last decade. They've set an immensely high bar 
to effectively supply both domestic and global markets. The Electric Reliability Council of Texas moving to, to the electric grid. ERCOT is comprised of an astounding 46,500 miles of transmission lines. That's one state and more than 680 generation resources. That's enough right now today for our 29 million or so current Texas residents. And it's been enough to, with very little hiccup, meet the demand of an increase, of an economic increase that's led to a 20% increase in, in electric energy use over the last 10 years. That's in context of all the uh, appliances and the, uh, the distribution systems and the energy use and the energy efficiency measures that are made. There's a 20% increase is just the strength of the economy, because otherwise, even with the flat economy, energy would have decreased. So it's had no problem getting there. So for Texas Energy to go any higher in terms of a grade in the uh, report card, what they need to do is to continue to focus on alternative energies, the wind farms we have moving west of Dallas and into the panhandle as far as the eye can see. But we need to expand on that, work on further innovation, and uh, work on those. Uh, and this is part of my uh, background and focus and my somewhat contribution to this discussion was to make sure that they stated for raising the grade, the environmental protection and minimization of environmental impacts of everything we do in energy, we need to continue to improve upon. That's the answer on energy. Thanks for the question. Texas, of course, is a leader in that field in, in the country. I mean, some of the statistics you gave there with the transmission lines is are really eye-opening, and it, it really emphasizes the size of it. And it, it's interesting, certainly, to hear that. Before we jump into our civil engineering hot seat segments, we can ask you all a quick career question here. Mark, what category appears to be poised to receive the best grade as well as the worst grade on the upcoming Texas report card? Maybe you could talk about that as we wrap this segment up. The first answer is easy. Energy will receive the highest grade. Now, I'm not mentioning grades today because the final report card hasn't been produced, but I've already gone over extensive, the extensive reasons why that would be the case. The Wastewater Committee uh, really didn't take it lightly, but they carefully reviewed the state of wastewater, uh, and wastewater will likely receive the lowest grade. Wastewater is generated, as we all know, households, commercial businesses, industrial operations, and we have the authorized discharges, and they're regulated to maintain ecological and biological balance of rivers, lakes, and estuaries. Now, it continues to be the case that unauthorized or untreated wastewater discharges are the leading cause of impairment of those freshwater sources in Texas. That's still true. So while our treatment plants and our associated distribution sewage systems don't merit a grade of F, so it won't be F, because they are functioning and protecting, there are problems with those regulated systems and we anticipate those problems to increase. The growth of the state's population uh, puts a, an increasing, people don't think about this, but it puts an increasing demand on freshwater too. So as we have our freshwater reservoirs and our rivers and lakes, we draw more because the state's growing population needs it. It continues to throw the water cycle out of balance. That combined with the fact that the wastewater sewers have increasingly been subjected to stormwater flooding, back to the flooding issue, overflows to wastewater treatment plants, that overtaxes uh, the infrastructure of the plant. So we expect about 20 million 
additional people in Texas over the next 50 years. So communities are hard at work trying to expand their on-site sewage facilities and small-scale plants, but they need funding. There's about a $200 million federal funding shortfall, which is part of the poor grade. Sanitary sewer overflows are on the increase. And in 2017, Hurricane Harvey kind of tested the system like it needed testing. And uh, wastewater infrastructure didn't do too well. It did not do too well at all. So it really wasn't capable of preventing or being resilient to uh, protecting itself against the storm. So really, it's a combination of deficient planning and funding, lack of resiliency, and the increased sewer overflows that I talked about that are the basis of, of the grade that will be the lowest in the set, and that will be announced later. Uh, Griselda Gonzalez, she served on the Combined Water and Wastewater Subcommittee. Griselda, do you have anything further to add on this? Uh, you were very thorough, Mark. I would think that you were on the committee, too. I'm glad you feel that way. That conversation right there is really another good kind of summary of the value of the report card. Something has to get the worst grade, but it also then brings attention to that area, and hopefully it allows us to get funding for the wastewater infrastructure and upgrade it in the future. That's why you're doing this, right? The whole point is to, we need to find the best and the worst, and we need to help address the worst. And so that's a really good way to cap off this segment. And, you know, really interesting stuff around the Texas Infrastructure Report Card and really just Infrastructure Report Card in general. So it's really interesting, you know, to hear all this. And we are going to link to some information around the report card in the show notes for this episode so that our listeners can kind of just get a little bit more of a feel for it and how maybe they can pitch in in their states to help out with the infrastructure report card. All right, so what we're going to do right now is we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back in a minute, and we're going to put our three guests together on the Civil Engineering Hot Seat. So stick with us. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, we're back with our three guests, Patricia Freire, Mark Boyd, and Griselda Gonzalez of the Texas Infrastructure Report Card Committee. And we talked a lot about infrastructure. So now we're going to move on to something else. And we're going to put you on the civil engineering hot seat. And I'm going to ask one question that I'd like each of you to answer. Imagine that you get into an elevator and there's a civil engineer that gets in with you and they're looking for career advice. And you have about 30 to 40 seconds to give them that advice. What would it be? Chris Eldo, let's start with you. My advice would be to get involved in organizations and to get involved in advocacy, because I think getting involved in organizations like ASCE or ACEC, you know, Texas Society of Professional Engineers, any society, take a position, ask to volunteer because it opens up your window of networking. It opens your perspective. You get different perspectives. And it just grows your network, grows you professionally, and the opportunities that come your way, I don't think you can get them any other way except through volunteering and organizations and being active. That's great. Mark, how about you? I agree with everything Gusselba just said. I might say that about involvement with uh, engineering societies and involvement with your colleagues outside of your work. As an environmental engineer, I would tell a civil engineer, that the day has come that environment protection and environmental considerations and, and sustainability have to be involved in everything that a civil engineer does and thinks and uh, pushes toward. And that's what I would tell them to get as much continuing education 
on what was previously not really considered part of a civil engineer's life, but to be as knowledgeable as possible in uh, the environmental considerations of what we all work in and what we do and design for the public and the environment. That's great. Patricia? I would agree with everything that Griselda and Mark have said, but if I were in an elevator with someone else as a civil engineer, I would advise them to be intentional, decide what it is that's important and that matters to you, and act on it. Time waits for no one. The time is now to get involved and to carry out what it is that you want to see happen. And more importantly, don't forget who it is that gave you this world. Patricia, Mark, Griselda, first of all, thank you for your service to the profession. It's obvious that you put a lot of hours in on the IRC committee. You're doing great work. I've read about what you've done and it's amazing. And I want to thank you for taking some time out of your busy schedules to spend some time here on the Civil Engineering Podcast. There are thousands of civil engineers that will be listening and they'll, they'll be thankful for the information that you shared with them today. Thank you for spending some time with us. We really do truly appreciate it. Well, we appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Well, I hope that you enjoyed that episode of the podcast. You know, we don't often have that many guests, so I know that there's a lot of back and forth going on when you have four people on an episode, but I do think that the project warranted that, right? Trying to assess the infrastructure in the state of Texas is a really big undertaking. And it was good to kind of get a sense of that. But like I said earlier on in the show, one of the big goals that I had in sharing this episode was for you to see some of the camaraderie and the relationships that get built when you get out there and you volunteer on initiatives like this. And I highly, highly recommend that you do it, especially in the world that we live in right now, where we are more isolated than we've ever been. Committees like this, even though a lot of the work may be done over Zoom, it still allows you to build connections and build relationships. And I will hope that you really take that you know, advice to heart and get out there and do it. Once again, too, I want to also remind you that you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for episode number 158. There you will find a summary of the key points that were discussed in the episode today, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books that were mentioned by our guests. And once again, I'll remind you that we've developed a new resource for engineers focused around helping them pass their FE and PE exams. We've developed a website, pepasspoint.com. That's P-E-Passpoint, P-A-S-S-Point.com. And there you'll find links to our two new YouTube channels, Pass the FE Exam and Pass the PE Exam. So even if you're licensed and you want to share those channels with others, please feel free to do that. It's a weekly video that's completely free and it will help them to pass the exam. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the hosts and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineering professionals, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.